you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ here as we march towards the NFL Scouting Combine. It's our uh, it's our annual conference call. So this is something I do each and every year. Hop on a conference call with media all over the country and uh, and answer draft questions about teams, about players, about prospects, and where they could land and good fits, all that good stuff. So it is a uh, it is a it's a great opportunity to just get the uh, the draft cranked up here with a lot of conversation. So each and every year we take parts of that call and we produce it into our Move the Sticks podcast. So that's what we have for you today. Uh, hope you guys enjoy this as we dig deep into the 2023 NFL Draft. Our first question comes from Justin Rogers. Hey DJ, I think uh, you know if the Lions stick at number six, the, the perception is positional value-wise, edge rushers, the way they would go. I think that's the way you had them go in your most recent mock. So I'm, I'm curious if you can maybe tell me the, the difference, the separators between Miles Murphy, Tyree Wilson, and I guess you want to include them in that conversation, Van Ness. Yeah, for me, it would be Tyree Wilson, um, you know, by a pretty significant margin. Uh, I think there's... You know, there's a lot of buzz around him around the league. I think the the league has it with him and Anderson a lot closer than people might think. Um, he's he's got just freakish wingspan and uh, and burst and uh, the ability to kind of use those long levers to get home. I think he's a really talented rusher. I think he's a big time athlete. Unfortunately, don't think we're going to get to see him do anything at the combine coming off the injury that he's had. So probably have to wait till the pro day on that one. But for me, it would be him. Uh, Miles Murphy is a tricky one because. It's all in there. He has it all in his body. He hasn't got it all figured out just yet. Um, but between his kind of his combination of length and explosiveness, um, yeah, I think there's there's more there. I think he's going to develop more as a rusher. I don't think he has a great plan at this point in time. And then Van Ness is, uh, you know, I'm going to end up moving him up in my next update of my top 50. I think I have him at 22 right now. Um, again, I. It was curious when you're watching him because he doesn't start. And I know a lot of people are sitting there going, how in the world are you going to take a guy in the top 10? He didn't start at Iowa. Uh, but I had a chance to do my homework on that. And look, they that's just the way their program runs. They're going to run with the the, uh, the older upperclassmen, the leaders that have been in those spots. They're just going to they're gonna roll those guys out there with starters, even though everybody knows this was their best guy. Um, but he's got big time, big time explosiveness and power, um, kind of a bull in a china shop. Again, somebody who's just figuring out but when you watched him against the best tackles he played against, he got after him. So I, I think that is is closer to me. What I'm getting at is going to be Murphy and Van Ness is pretty close to me. I would have Tyree Wilson uh, ahead of those two guys. 
Next question comes from Dan Wiederer. DJ, thanks for doing this. Obviously, the uh, the draft starts with the Bears, uh, and they're in an intriguing spot here to try to, to maximize what they do with that number one pick. If you were in Ryan Poles' shoes, what would you map out as kind of your plan A, best case scenario, and, and how would you, uh, when considering trades back, figure out where to draw your line on how far you'd be willing to go down? Well, I'm glad you brought that because we did a little homework on this. Um, my buddy Jack in research, we've been working on this for the last couple of days, and he uh, he kind of spelled it out for me here. If you look at those trades, um, uh, trade-ups for quarterbacks, usually when you look at the trade chart, it's about 120%, give or take, in terms of the trade chart value. You have to pay a premium if you're going to come up for a quarterback, which is you know great news there for the Bears. So when you kind of you look at some of those previous trades, um, which, by the way, when you look at the names of the quarterbacks that teams have traded up for since 2011, it's Trey Lance, Sam Darnold, Mitchell Trubisky, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz and RG3. So, you know, in other words, don't be so concerned if you're the Bears about trading off of a Hall of Famer and moving back. It hasn't been a great list uh, over the last few years. But when you look at those points, here would be the three trades. If we're going to look at those teams as to the Texans for the Colts and nine, the Panthers here would be how that would shake out on the trade chart. So if you're just going to go back uh, to pick number two, you're going to get the, uh, uh, the second pick, the 33rd pick in next year's two, that would be the trade you'd have there uh, with the uh, Texans. If you go to four, you would have, uh, you'd have to give up the, a fourth round pick this year and, or sorry, a fourth round pick in 2024, as well as your, the number one overall pick, you would get, number four overall, number 35 overall, and a first-round pick in 24 and a second-round pick in 24. And then if you want to go all the way to nine, you're going to get the ninth pick, you're going to get the number 39 pick, and you're going to get a first-round in 24, and you're going to get a first-round in 25. So when I look at all those halls, and I understand you could be trading off of the opportunity to get one of the premier defensive players there at two or four, if you're asking me what I would do, I would be hoping the Carolina Panthers want to pay that price. And I'll go to nine and I'll take all those first round picks and uh, and let's go try and fill some of these needs. So those are the three teams I think that will be in the mix. And those are the three options. Next question comes from Jonathan Alexander. DJ, thanks for doing this. I wanted to kind of piggyback um, kind of off that question. Um, covering the Texans and Texans, of course, you know, a lot depends on what the Bears do. Um Let's say they stay padded at, at number two. Is is CJ? Do you believe Bryce Young and CJ Stroud is that much of a drop off? Would that would that be considered? How would you feel that, feel about that as a consolation prize if they ended up getting CJ Stroud instead of Bryce Young? Yeah, I'd be fine with it. I mean, I have I have Bryce Young. Um, I like Bryce Young better on the tape, um, but I think CJ Stroud's a really good player. And if the price, if you're not comfortable with that price to go up you know, to get to that number one pick staying where they are and getting CJ Stroud, I'd feel just fine about that. I think he's just a pure thrower. Um, you know, the, the big question with him, it's been talked about was okay. Not a lot of off schedule, not a lot, a lot of playmaking, but then all of a sudden you see the, the semifinal game and you're like, dude, where's, where's this been? Um, he showed you, he has that ability and the old scouting adage is if you can do it once you can do it. Um, so, you know, he does have, he does have that ability. Now I think Bryce is just a little, he's a little bit more of a playmaker to me consistently when you watch him. Um, I, I just love his instincts and feel his ability to maneuver within the pocket, I think is better. So I think Bryce Young is a better player. Um, 
but I I would not be uh, I would not be totally bummed if you sat there at two and ended up with C.J. Stroud. Our next question comes from Mike Chapel. C.J., thank you. This is sort of piggybacking off of, of, of the last question. The Colts sitting at four. In your mind, is there a big enough gap between your one with Bryce Young and Stroud and, and Levis that you really can't sit there at four and, and get what's left? Or do you need, if you believe Bryce Young is the guy, do you go get him? Yeah, I think if you have the conviction, um, I think if you're the Colts right now, is they've been on this veteran carousel, as you know, for so long, they've got to get off of it. So if you have conviction of who that guy is, I think where their position is an organization, I think it makes sense for them to be maybe more aggressive than Houston would be. Um, if you have that conviction, just go up there and get them. You know, four, there's a lot that can happen. Um, you know, you might have one that you love, one that you really like, and then it it drops off. And nobody knows what order that's in, but I, I would not be comfortable. I would not be sleeping well at night if I was just going to sit and hold tight there at number four. Next question comes from Dave Burkett. Hey, DJ. Um, saw you had the Lions taking Anthony Richardson uh, at 18. Can you uh, can you explain why Richardson, you know, why a quarterback, I guess, when golf is coming off the season he had? And then part two of that, you know, I've had had some fans, I guess, sort of wonder why Richardson goes that high. He's, he's obviously got the raw traits, but maybe he's a little bit of a developmental player like Malik Willis, some people say. So um, why would he not slide down the draft a little bit further, I guess? Well, I can. I guess I can answer it this way. He's not going to be there when it's all said and done when the Lions pick with their second pick, so it's not going to be a problem. Um, and making calls just around the league, you t- the best way to do you know the quarterback conversation is talk to the teams that don't need one, and then you'll get kind of an accurate feel just how they evaluate him and what they think. And Anthony Richardson is the you know the second quarterback for several teams that I talked to. And, and we can look at the numbers and, you know, I it doesn't look great on paper. And you look at the accuracy and this, that, and the other. He's got elite, elite arm strength. He's a rare athlete. You don't see quarterbacks, you know, running away from LSU with 80-yard touchdown runs. Like, he's got big-time, big-time ceiling, big-time ability. And, you know, you can find the games. If you want to fall in love with Anthony Richardson, you pop on Utah, you think he's the first pick in the draft. Um, even Missouri, he makes some big-time plays in that game. So, you know, I know it's a little bit of a roller coaster. I know he hasn't played a ton, but teams are starting to look at some of these quarterbacks as lottery tickets, and this one has the biggest payout. So that's why I think you're going to see Richardson go pretty high. The reason I had him there with the Lions is I think sometimes when you have that those two picks, I almost you know I say it's a luxury because you're trying to get good players. But when you look at the landscape of the NFL right now, and you look at you know the high high end quarterback play. You know, this gives you an opportunity to, you know, take a shot on one of those guys who could be that, you know, he's not at that level right now, but ceiling wise with, with him and Jared Goff, his ceilings, you know, immensely higher. Jared's a, is a, is a solid steady player right now. He's playing winning football. Um, but I think there is a ceiling on him. This, you know, with Anthony Richardson, you don't have a ceiling. So that's why I think you'll see him go, but I don't think, you know, in, in making just calls over the last couple of days, I don't even think he'll get there. Next question comes from Mike K. Hey, DJ, I wanted to ask you about a local kid from uh, North Carolina, Nick Saldaviri from Old Dominion. We saw him move inside uh, to center and guard during the senior bowl. I was just curious, where do you envision him playing in the league and where do you think his range is from a from a draft standpoint? Yeah, I liked him as a player and kind of reminded me of of Max Mitchell, you know, coming out last year. And People kind of wonder what Max would do, where he would play. Was he physically strong enough? And when he got out in the field for the Jets, he played pretty well. So, um, you know, I I think he can still hold up at tackle. Um, 
I think he's got quick feet. I think he he can bend. Uh, he plays under control. I think there's going to be times just at that height, if you're inside, I think he's going to get a little high and he's going to get moved. But he can sink. He can bend. And I think he could play out on the edge. So I, I still like him at tackle. want to con- you know continue to see him get stronger. But uh, I, I, in terms of the range, I have him like in the third round. And, I, you know, when you're talking offensive linemen with him in a pretty good class of uh, in terms of the depth, maybe not the top end guys, third, fourth round would probably be the range I'd put him. Next question comes from Ben Volan. What's up, Daniel? Thanks for doing this, man. No problem. Um, very intrigued by your comment on the tight end position. Uh, tell me why you love this year's tight end class. How many could you see going in the first round? The Patriots have the 14th pick. Is that too high for a tight end? Uh, please break it down for me. Yeah, it's not too high for me. Um, in terms of the number of guys, I can kind of count them up here. So let me just go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I have 11 tight ends that I have top three round grades on, which is a ridiculous number. Um, it is just a really, really good group. And to me, um, I know he's coming off of an injury right now. And I know he's kind of more of a of a flex tight end. Uh, but Dalton Kincaid from Utah is I think he's a big time player. I think he's one of the, he's one of my favorite players to watch in this draft. I think he's one of the best players in the draft. Um, he's just sudden in everything that he does. He separates. He's outstanding after the catch. You know, he can win on contact over the middle of the field. Um, he's, he's really, really good after the catch, you know, as a blocker, he's going to more shield you and wall off. I I don't like, you know, when you compare guys to all time, great players, but just in his movement stuff, he moves, he kind of looks like Kelsey, just the way he moves in and out of breaks. Um, he's a really, really good player. I think he's, you know, I, I really like Zach Ertz when he was coming out the year he was coming out. I think he's a better version uh, of Zach Ertz. So he's up there. You've got Mayer, who's just an all around tight end, not going to be real dynamic uh, at a Notre Dame, but he is kind of the king of the combat catches. Um, he's got a good feel on option routes, just keeping guys on his back and kind of walling them off and making plays. Um, but a good overall tight end, good blocker. Darnell Washington is massive from Georgia. He's he's like playing with a sixth offensive lineman in the run game, and he's still developing and learning in the pass game. You know, I think there's more there. Obviously, they had the best tight end in the country there in Bowers, who's just an absolute freak show. Um, so he doesn't get as many uh, balls as he would in another offense. But um, he's 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 really intriguing. Musgrave from Oregon State's going to probably run in the low four fives at 255 pounds. Um, he could go in the first round. I mean, then you just you start going through the list. Laporta from Iowa, um, Tucker Craft from South Dakota State. You get Davis Allen from Clemson's intriguing. Payne Durham from Purdue. Um, Schoonmaker from Michigan, Strange from Penn State, Wiley from Cincinnati. Like, there's those are the 11 guys. It is a it is a really, really good group. Next question comes from Jordan Rodriguez. Hey, DJ, thank you so much for doing this uh, with us today. Kind of a niche question, Rams, yeah. really. Um, as they evaluate um, their backup quarterback situation, um, who are some guys that you think are good schematic fits, but also um, fits in consideration with what Sean McVay's traditionally done at quarterback? Yeah, there's some interesting guys. Um, you know, it's kind of, you know, you look at it and say, okay, who fits from a traditional standpoint? And then, um, you know, who could be kind of somebody that'd be fun to play with, with a creative coordinator and Sean McVay. I, I really like Hendon Hooker. I think he's a good player. Um, I think he can do everything that Sean McVay wants to do. I think he's, you start with accuracy and decision-making. 
I, you know, he can move around. So you're going to be able to use all that stretch boot. He's going to be very comfortable doing that. He can think the game really well. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how high he ends up going coming off of the injury. I think he would have been a first round pick if he doesn't get hurt, even with the age. I know people, you know, talk about how old he is, but he's a really, really solid player. I think would be a great fit uh, in that system. And you look at other guys that can kind of, you know, it would be maybe a little bit later on um, to me would probably be somebody like, a you know, Jaron Hall would would be a, you know, I think he'll probably end up going the fourth or fifth round. But, you know, good athlete can move, um, can really drive the ball, um, you know, has some things he can work on with his with his footwork. I know I'm sure they've been working on that and lead up to the draft just gets a little too bouncy at times. Um, but he's somebody that's kind of an intriguing project to me that you could uh, you could keep an eye on in that type of uh, area of the draft. Next question comes from Bob McManaman. Thanks, DJ, for doing this. Uh, I saw what you picked Tyree to go three to the Cardinals, but um, given the fact that there's a brand new staff from top to bottom, coaching and management, do you think um, they might go in a different route? And can, is if Anderson and and the Georgia t- defensive tackler there, is that still way, way in play? Um, look, to me, the way I have them stacked, like, who you know, I think Jalen Carter is the best player in the draft from Georgia, and I think that Will Anderson's the second best player. Um, but I, I know when talking to people around the league, when I do mock drafts, you're trying to get, you know, just a feel and, you know, the, the potential outcomes there and not just doing the same exact thing every single time. And I know that there's teams that have it really, really close. And, uh, and some actually even prefer Tyree Wilson to Anderson, just because of the the size and the length and the attributes that he has there. But it, you know, if you're asking me, um, I, I I wouldn't be trading off of of either of those two guys. I mean, we look at Jalen Carter, or Will Anderson. I I probably wouldn't want to get out if I were them. As desperate as they are for defensive linemen, um, and I think those are the two best guys. So, uh, kind of a two parter there. You know, what would I do? That was what I would do. I'd take one of those two guys, um, and then uh, you know. But I, I do want to make sure that Tyree Wilson kind of gets in the mix. I remember doing a similar thing last year trying to trying to alert everybody that this Trayvon Walker from Georgia, uh, you know, like, Hey, just know who he is and be aware and don't be surprised. So that's, uh, that's kind of the same thing. Uh, same thing I'm doing here. Same formula. Next question comes from Jim Wyatt. Daniel, appreciate your time. Uh, obviously a lot of moving parts in Tennessee. When you look at their needs and you look at the board, what's maybe a best case scenario for them at number 11? Well, I mean, obviously tackles is going to be a, uh, you know, a glaring need for them. If you're asking me absolute best, best case scenario, I'd say somehow Skaronsky gets there um, from Northwestern. And I think he can play tackle. Um, you know, I think he could be an unbelievable guard as well, but Peter Skaronsky would be my, my dream scenario. And, and while I don't think that's going to happen, you start getting all these quarterbacks coming off the board. We end up getting four go and you have those top defensive players. Um you know, maybe it's not the craziest thing in the world that somehow he would make it to him. But he reminds me a lot of Elijah Vera Tucker. Remember uh, with Vera Tucker last year, the talk or when he was coming out into that draft was, is he a guard? Is he, a, you know, is he a tackle? And it turns out he can do whatever the heck you want him to do. He's really, really good. Um, so Skaronsky would be my best case scenario. And then, um, you know, you're looking at receiver as another as another need there. I don't think it's a great receiver draft, um, but I really do like Jordan Addison. You know, I think the the one reason that might not happen is because he he's kind of similar to to Robert Woods. So um, if that wasn't uh, wasn't what they were looking for, if they wanted to get bigger there, then I think you could look at 
you know, TCU has Johnston, who's a big, fast, physical kid. Oh, we'll go back to Mark Potish. Thanks, TJ. Uh, um, you indicated earlier that the Bears could face a tough decision trading down and, and getting and trading basically out of uh, Carter or Anderson, I guess. Just how to, can you kind of break down Carter as a prospect? Is he worth the number one overall? And also, how, how tough a decision would it be for the Bears to, to trade out of that? What, what would their options, best options be if they traded too far down to get Carter and, and, or Anderson? Yeah, I mean, I would probably go back to the same guy I just talked about would be Skaronsky. I mean, this is, you know, as bad as the Bears defense is, you've got to give Justin Fields some uh, some help here going forward. So if they traded all the way down to nine, I would think they're probably trading themselves into the, you know, their choice, dealer's choice of offensive lineman at that point in time. Um, and, you know, look, it would be hard to trade away from those top two defensive players because I think they're really, really good. Uh, but if you could just get the just the sheer haul of picks, um, that could serve you well into the future. Um, I, I think I would go that route and probably would switch me from the defensive side to the offensive side with that first pick um, that they'd be going after there. In terms of Carter as a player, man, he's a, you know, it's overused, I guess, but I don't know how else to describe him. He's just a freak show uh, when you're watching him. It just looks like he works at a different speed than everybody else on the field. The change of direction, you know, he can kind of teleport from one gap to the next, and you're like, I don't even know how he how he got there, but you've got no chance. Um, the offensive line coach at Georgia is a, is a good buddy of mine, Stacy Searles, and when I asked him about Jalen Carter, and he said when he when he comes to practice and doesn't want to get blocked, he's not getting blocked. <laughs> I mean, he's just uh, he's a, he's a unique player. If you want to see, you know, the athleticism, go go. Uh, Read my buddy Bruce Feldman's article about him and look at the dunk that he posted inside the the article. You can see him with windmill dunking over 300 pounds. So he's a, he's a he's an absolute freak. I think he's better than Quinn and Williams coming out, and I loved Quinn and Williams. So that's the type of player you're getting. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Next question comes from Antoine Staley. Hey, DJ, uh, how you doing? Um, I know with the Jets, you had them taking uh, Broderick Jones at number 13. Just talk about why you think that'll be a good fit and also uh, some other positions that uh, the Jets might need in the draft as well. Sure. Um, when you look at Broderick Jones, I, I think his best football is still ahead of him. He's an incredibly strong. He's incredibly athletic. Um, what he can do in the second level stuff in the run game, as well as in the screen game, uh, is outstanding. You know, he sets a little bit, a little bit of a unique set where he sets a little bit flat. So there are times where guys can, can get up field on him, but then he shows you the ability to recover, um, and hang in there. So, you know, maybe a little top heavy at times, he gets a little over aggressive. He's pretty, uh, 
you know, he's a pretty physical player, but I think there's a lot to really like about him. Um, I think he could play either side. I think he play right tackle. He could play left tackle. Um, that would be a, uh, you know, that's why I had him going. There. I think it'd be a really good fit in terms of other needs. Um, you know, still continuing to get more firepower. I know they signed all those tight ends last year, but I still don't think they have a real dynamic difference-making tight end. I think they got some good players, um, but that would be, uh, you know, that'd be something I'd be trying to find as well as, you know, we'll see what they're going to do at the center position going forward. Um, I, I would, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing them get one of those young centers in this draft. It's a, it's a pretty good group of interior offensive linemen. Next question comes from Joe Rudder. Yeah, hi, Daniel. I saw in your last mock you had uh, Tennessee tackle going to the Steelers. Any any others at that spot that you you could see them taking at that position, or could they go defensive line or corner? Yeah, I, I think when you're you're looking at, it, I think those are some. You know, you just nailed the the three spots. I, I think when you're looking at the offensive line options, if you're looking at tackle, you know, Darnell Wright is the one that I put there. Um, you know, if they if they ended up waiting on tackle, I think that Matthew Bergeron could be one from Syracuse that maybe they take at 32. Um, there's some good interior options. Uh, Steve Avila from TCU, Osiris Torrance. I think those guys are just plug and play. I mean, it's not going to, you know, you're not going to win the press conference, you know, maybe not going to win the draft party by t- taking those two guys. But I think they're just plug and play you know, solid starters immediately. Um, so any combination of those three guys. And then when you you look at the corner position, I mean, I, I would love it, it just for, for multiple reasons, but it would be fun if, if Porter were to get there. I, I don't think he'll fall that far. Um, Joey Porter Jr. Uh, Christian Gonzalez, I think would probably be gone as well. I, I'm be shocked if, if Witherspoon from Illinois were there, but uh, if any of those guys somehow managed to get down there, those would be easy to run the card up for the Steelers. Next question comes from Aaron Wilson. Hey, DJ. Thanks for doing this. No problem. Uh, DJ, when you look at Bryce, and uh, we've had quarterbacks of his size be very successful in this league, what are some reasons just watching him that you think that maybe his uh, lack of stature may not matter in the NFL? Yeah, no, it's good to see Aaron. Uh, Look, it's still going to be a concern. I think you're always going to be, you know, a little bit nervous just about the durability because of the frame. But, you know, last I was told as of uh, yesterday, he was right around 200 pounds. So I, I think he's getting close to 200 pounds. I think he'll probably show up at the combine and be 200 pounds. Um, so I know some of the rumors are out there. He was going to be 180 pounds. That's not, you know, he's not going to be that. We'll see how tall he is. But, uh, you know, he's he's got such good awareness and feel. Um, I think he'll be able to protect himself because of that. Um, he's, uh, you know, in terms of the ability, it, I it's all there. I mean, every type of throw you want to make, he can drive it. He can layer the ball. He can make plays on schedule, off schedule. The talent is exceptional. You know, you talk to people that have been at Alabama for a long time and they'll say, you know, well, we'll see how it translates, but this is the best football player uh, that we've been around. Like he's, he is outstanding. So you're going to have to take a risk with any of these quarterbacks it's just a different type of risk. You know, some might be, oh, they're going to continue to develop. The accuracy is going to improve or the instincts are going to get better. Um, with Bryce, you know, the gamble is just the durability. Is he going to be able to physically hold up? And, you know, that's the the gamble I would take when you stack all these guys up. You know, when you talk to people there, give you one example. You know, they said they'll, you know, he'll show up on Monday. They'll give, you know, on Sunday after a game on Saturday, they'll have a a game plan already for the next week. Um, And normally kids would come in and you'll start on Monday and you'll start digging into that. And they said he would show up on Monday 
with a list of questions and and suggestions of how to do this with this protection and how you can attack this coverage with this. And he said a lot of times he would incorporate his ideas and it's just stuff he's doing on Sunday the day after a game. So the wiring is is pretty unique and pretty special. Next question comes from Dave Zingaro. Hey, DJ. Uh, the Eagles have spent so long without taking a cornerback in the, the first round. Just wondering if there are reasons why this year could buck that trend and why Witherspoon might be a good candidate for it. Well, I think, yeah, I just think Witherspoon's a stud. Um, and I think having been in that building and seen, you know, Asante Samuel there, um, I think you could make an easy, easy comparison there with just the playmaking ability to take the ball away. You know, we'll see what Bradbury ends up doing in the offseason. I imagine he's probably going to get paid uh, somewhere. So if they don't re-sign him, uh, there's a, you know, there's going to be a need there as well. There's a zillion free agents they've got to navigate around, but that's one I would, I would think would be hard to retain. Um, and I think, you know, if you're, if you're where the Eagles are right now, you, your, your thought process going into a draft is not, it's not the division anymore. It's not even the conference. It's what do we have to do to, to win a Super Bowl, and what do we have to do to get off the field? when we're going to have to go up against, you know, Patrick Mahomes or whoever else is coming out of the AFC, be it Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, you know, those are the guys you're going to have to go through to win a championship. And in that game, they couldn't get off the field. And I, you know, I think they've got some really good pieces up front. And I think finding somebody on the back end that could take the ball away, um, that, that could help their cause as well. So that's, that's kind of my thought process there. Everything's about winning a Super Bowl and trying to beat these elite quarterbacks. And you do that with pass rushers and corners. Next question comes from Ben Swanson. DJ, thank you for the time. Uh, the Broncos obviously don't pick until the third round. Um, how do you feel that, you know, their areas of need match up with the, uh, the, the depth in this draft that you kind of talked about? Yeah. Uh, you know, when you, you look at the Broncos and look at the directions that they, you know, could be looking to go, I think O-line, D-line obviously would be the the places where you start. I, I think from an offensive line standpoint, I feel pretty good um, about the interior and some of the depth that you could find in that portion of the draft. I think edge rush is uh, is actually a pretty good group as well. Kind of pulling up this, you know, pulling up this list and guys that I think could kind of be in that type of range. You know, a KJ Henry from Clemson uh, would be one. Andre Carter from Army. Um, you know, Zach Harrison, Ohio State. Um, Dylan Horton from TCU. Like those types of guys. Those are good players, and I think those guys are probably going to be in that third, fourth round range. You know, Foskey would be another one. We'll see. He's going to test. He's going to test really well, so he might test his way out of that range um, and up a little bit higher. But uh, I think when you're looking at offensive linemen, edge rushers. I think that's uh you know it's not it's not bad. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised with the the quality of the depth that's going to still be there in the third and fourth round in this draft. Next question comes from Stu Jackson. Hey DJ, thanks for the time this morning. Uh, curious what you see as the Rams' biggest needs are, and you know based on the way you have the the first round unfolding in that mock draft as well as your top fifty, uh, you know what some potential options might be for them toward the uh, top of the second round there. Yeah. So Rams picking 36 um, needs wise, you know, continue to look at edge um, offensive line wise would be another area that I would keep an eye on. The, the, those linemen that I touched on a little bit earlier, you know, I, I like Cody Mauk to me is a, is a really good player at North Dakota state has like five position flexibility. I think that's probably the sweet spot for where he would go. Um, and the, you know, you're seeing this more and more talking to people around the league and, and you're going through meetings and I've seen it, 
you know, covering the Chargers games and doing their games and just being around the league is, man, when you got guys that can play in those multiple spots, it just allows you to overcome the injuries of a 17-game season so much easier. And I think when you look at guys like Cody Mauk, I think that that really, really ups his value um, because he's able to, to play in those different positions. I mentioned Bergeron from Syracuse I think would be a good fit. Um, I think he's going to be a really good tackle, could kick in if you wanted him to. If you, you know, you want an interior offensive lineman, another one in that mix, yeah. John Michael Schmitz is uh, from Minnesota, who is awesome at the senior bowl. So, yeah, that's where their position. If you're looking for offensive linemen, I think it's a really, really good place to be. Next question comes from Patrick Angle. Hey, DJ, on the tight ends in general, like you touched on kind of going off of that before from watching yourself and and, and talking to teams. Do you get the sense there's going to kind of be a consensus on the T1 or more of a, a kind of widespread thing? And uh, the second part of that is, why do you think that's kind of been a spot based on draft history where teams are willing to overlook middling or, you know, unremarkable production and not get wowed by great production at tight end? Yeah, I, I, it's a great question. And we've done studies on it, looked at it over the years, and it's just been a traits over production position. And it goes back to the basketball players, you know, with Antonio Gates, um, and Jimmy Graham, it goes to George Kittle not having a ton of numbers uh, there at Iowa. It's just, you know, can you can you separate? You have that short area quickness and then you have kind of that that aware, that awareness, that spatial awareness. All that stuff is really, really important versus you being in a college team and you're playing quarters coverage and they're throwing you, you know, bubble screens and tunnel screens. So you catch 85 balls like it just doesn't the production doesn't translate is is uh, smoothly at that position to the next level. You've got to have those traits. Um, but in terms of yeah, I, I don't think there's I don't think there's a uniform TE one in this draft. When you talk to teams around the league, you'll hear different names mentioned. Um, usually, it's 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 Kincaid, it's Mayer, um, it's Musgrave, and it's Washington. Those are kind of the four that get mentioned. And I would say I've got back the feedback I've got back the most. Most teams I talk to have Kincaid number one because of the passing game value. But that's you know Mayer has his has his sponsors around the league as well. Next question comes from Bill Perry. Hey, DJ, thanks for doing this. I have a Patriots question for you. The Right now, guys under contract, they have Devontae Parker, Kendrick Bourne, and Tyquan Thornton. Seem like guys who have pretty different skill sets, but I'm curious if at 14, and I know you said it's not a an excellent maybe receiver class, but is there somebody available at 14 who might complement that group that they may be interested in? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it's interesting. It's, I don't, should they be in the compliment uh, issue or should they be in the substitute uh, issue? I mean, that's, that's kind of the the predicament that you're in. I think you want the best one available. And I don't think there's anybody that's in my opinion, that's dominant or good enough in that group that you would, you would have to play off of their skill set. I think you just want the best one. Um, so to me, I, I look at if you're looking for high volume, you know, catches and and productivity, you know, you can make a case for Jackson Smith and Jigba because he's just got a really good feel. He works really good in the middle of the field. Um, We know the success they've had with guys like that. So um, that one, you know, I, I could see making sense to me. I just would want the best overall guy. And that's in my opinion, is Jordan Addison, you know, just because I think he's a complete route runner. I think he gives you burst and explosiveness, make plays over the top. Um, and I think he's got outstanding hands. So um, that that to me would be the place that I would go. But yeah, I, you know, it's one thing if you've got 
you've got a premier A1 level player and you're like, okay, we got to find this, the, the compliment to this. It's like, I don't know. Sub, substitute's okay there as well. You need to find the best guy. Next question comes from Jory Epstein. Thanks so much for doing this, Daniel. Uh, I was wondering, I see that you put Bijan Robinson as number four on your top 50, 19th in the draft. And I was curious how much you think that reflects team needs versus the value of the running back. And in a year when you've got potential franchise tag candidates and Saquon Barkley, Tony Pollard, just what teams are saying about the value of the running back, both both in the veterans and the rookies? That's a great question. And if you if you asked around, and I've done this to a bunch of teams, the most consistently highly graded player uh, in the draft, because even on some of them, there's some varying opinions. You'll get some people will say on the defensive side, oh, you know, I'm a Will Anderson guy, or maybe I'm a Jalen Carter guy. Everybody says that Bijan Robinson is not only the best running back in this class, he's one of the five best players in this class. He's elite. And then you then transition to, okay, where does he go? And then all of them say, I have no idea. You know, I, I have no idea. Does he go into the 20s? There's people that say, I, there, there will not be people inside the league, and I know. And some people think, oh, the analytics they'll they'll kill him. If if he were to go in the top ten, he would not get laughs around the league because people know how good this guy is. Um, so it, I just don't know where to put him. And you look at all the different needs that these teams have. And my philosophy on kind of the running backs is, I don't, uh, I don't mind taking a running back in the first round as long as your team is ready to win right now. Because if you if you take into account the guy's got four, five, six years of you know elite production, I don't mind getting him in the first round because I get the extra year on the contract with you know it's easy to control it. Um, then I've got a franchise tag number if I want, and that could kind of take me through all of his prime. But I don't want to waste carries on a crappy team. I want to have all of his carries over that five-year period count and help us push towards you know a championship. So to to take a, a big time running back like that and your team stinks, you're going to waste his prime and it's not going to do anything for you. So that's that's the conundrum there with with Bijan Robinson. But he is no doubt about it to me. He's one of the premier premier players in the draft. Next question comes from Ray Fittipaldo. Daniel with Omar Khan overseeing his first draft and you know his first offseason. How important is this first opportunity for him? Um, you know, to kind of set the tone for the types of personnel that he wants in there. And with three picks in the in the top 50, are they set up to, you know, to do pretty well in this draft? I think they're really set up well, you know, and and talking about them just a little bit ago, when you look at the needs of of offensive line corner, um, you know, maybe uh maybe even some more pass rush, I think where they're positioned with their picks. 17, 32, 49, 80. Like those are four, you got four starters. I think you can get four starters with those four picks. And the good thing is Omar's smart. Omar's been there. He knows, you know, what Steelers are supposed to look like and and how they're supposed to play. Um, I think Andy Weidel coming over there is somebody I've known forever. And, and he's going to kind of bring that, his background with the Ravens and with the Eagles. And if you look at those teams and how they've been built and the sustained success, similar to the Steelers in that it's a line of scrimmage organization. So I think they're philosophically aligned there. Um, you know, and Tomlin and that group does such a good job of developing the guys uh, once you bring them in. So I, I think their needs marry up very well with this draft. And I don't think it's something where you have a new GM coming in and trying to survey the landscape and figure out, you know, how, what do we need? How do we, he knows exactly what they need. Um, and I think they have the people there to not only pick the right people, but I think they have the coaching staff to get it out of them. I mean, I know it's not, I know this is a draft call, but 
what they did last year, you know, to to kick save that season and and uh, and once again, uh, Mike Tomlin goes over five hundred. That was uh, it was pretty remarkable. Next question comes from Eric Smith. Hey DJ, uh, with the Chargers at twenty one, it seems like speed is the top need that people are talking about. I thought you had uh, Johnson of TCU in your mock. Is is that their number one need with, with getting more quickness on the outside? Yeah, I, you know, and again, they can do that in free agency as well. Um, there's some guys on that list that can that can move. I, I just think it's an element that needs to be added. I don't. I'm not beholden to that being the first round pick, even if you know if you aren't able to do it in the in the free agency period. I don't think that you have. Uh, you know, a, a ultimatum that it has to be your first round pick has to be a speed receiver. You can find some guys throughout the draft that can really run. It just has to show up at some point in time in the off season. Um, you know, I think that is a big need. Uh, when you look at the free agency situation, you know, what happens uh, with Pipkins, I think will kind of inform a little bit of the direction that they need to go in the off season um, with, with the offensive line. Uh, again, kind of talking about that versatility that we were talking about earlier, that's where Jamari Sawyer's ability to play tackle or to play inside at guard is, is valuable to them. Um, but yeah, I do think that's a, you know, that's a big, big area of need. They need to get faster and more dynamic and more explosive. And then, you know, the, the run defense has been the bugaboo for a few years now. So continuing to get stronger and stouter at the point of attack and, uh, and maybe mixing a, a younger edge rusher as well. Next question comes from Q Myers. Hey, DJ, appreciate your time. This is Q out in Las Vegas, and you have the Raiders taking Will Levitz to number seven. Uh, how would you kind of rank the quarterback class, and how many potential franchise quarterbacks do you see in this class? I, I think there's I, – I would actually say five because, you know, we'll see where Hennon Hooker lands. And, again, I, I already kind of went, hit, went down that road, but I know he's older, but I think he's got a chance to be a starter and be a solid starter. So I would say there's a chance to be five, and they all have concerns. They all – there's not a uh, – um, it's not one of those years where you have Trevor Lawrence. It's not Joe Burrow. It's obviously not, it's not Andrew Luck. It's not that year where you say, okay, this is that one. Now I want to say can't miss, but it's going to be hard to miss. <laughs> they, we don't have that. Uh, they all have warts. They all have flaws, but I think there's five potential solid starters, uh, in this group. I have it Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Levis Richardson. Um, but you know, again, if you know who you have, developing these guys and you have a plan in place, you know, I, I think it's very close uh, when you look at how they, those guys stack up for me, it's Bryce, a gap. And then those other three guys, I think it's however they fit you, what plan you have in place and, and how you want to use them. If you've got a veteran in place for a year, I think Anthony Richardson, you can make that case. You've got a coordinator that understands how to incorporate Will Levis's athleticism right now. I, you know, I know and talking to, to the folks that have been through there, they rave about his ability to handle a lot of information. So if you think about Josh McDaniels and his offense, it's been kind of known as a, you know, they can put a lot on your plate. And it sounds like that's something he's comfortable doing. I would put Hendon Hooker in that same, in that same realm, just in terms of when they talk about his you know, his football acumen, he's going to be able to pick it up and 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 handle a, a, a large uh, playbook there. Um, and Stroud, to me, is just like the – he's the purest thrower of the bunch, just accurate. You know, if you value decision-making accuracy, as, as pretty much everybody does, uh, C.J. Stroud's really, really solid in that area. So that's why he's number two for me. And then Bryce, I think, outside the size, just does everything at a very high level. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. 
That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Next question comes from Karen Gregan. Hey, Daniel, appreciate you uh, taking the time. Um, I was just curious when you look at this class, who are the four or five prospects that look most like Patriot type players to you? Oh, that's a good one. Patriot type players. Uh, well, I mean, Peter Skaronsky, I'll just kind of go down through the list here. Uh, Witherspoon from Illinois, because they value, you know, ball skills and instincts and awareness so much in the secondary. He he definitely fits uh, in that regard. Um, I, I would give you Keon White as one because of the versatility up front. He's six, almost six, five, 280 pounds, and he could be an edge setter. Uh, which they've always valued the, the physicality to set the edge in the run game. Um, you know, trying to find body types like Willie McGinnis going all the way back. It's hard to find guys that are that big and that strong that can still move. Um, so he would be one, I would say, that kind of fit that profile, a, a real smart player as well. Um, let me give you another one here. Van Ness from, from Iowa. Obviously, you have the connection there uh with Kirk Ferentz and Belichick so he's always going to be comfortable with with Iowa players and he's a big physical uh defensive lineman who can move uh inside outside so those are some guys i think that would be you know good overall fits and then if we want to go to the you know non power 5 offensive lineman uh that they uh, hit on last year with Cole Strange why not go back and go with uh with Malk there Cody Malk from North Dakota State Again, versatility, bunch of different positions, highly tough, highly intelligent, Patriot-type guy. Next question comes from Ben Standing. Hey, uh, Daniel. Uh, great to great to talk to you. Um, question about uh, Washington's quarterback situation. Uh, you studied Sam Howe last year, and he's gone from a fifth-round pick with one career start to being the projected <laughs> uh, starter this year. I'm just sort of curious what you think of that uh, trajectory for him and – if Washington isn't going to spend big at quarterback, but still need to get somebody, how do you see what makes the most sense for them, either with the draft or in free agency? All right. Now, now I'm uh, curious because I'm going back to look it up because I know. So how ended up, that was a shocker to me how late he went in the draft. So I'm looking up to see where I had him. So he was my 48th player in last year's draft. Um, so I thought it was a, I thought it was a bargain of all bargains that they got him where they did. When I go back through my notes with him last year, thick, sturdy, um, he's got quick feet. He can drive the ball. Um, he's a physical runner. Love the toughness. Um, just locks on at times. But I, I thought he was a starting caliber quarterback, so I'm not surprised that here we are a year later and he's going to be their starter. I just didn't envision that it would have uh, uh, would have been available to them as late in the draft as it was. But um, 
I'm I'm bullish on him. I think he's got a chance to be a good player. I think that the you know we'll see. I think the league missed on that one, uh, allowing him to fall as far as they did. In terms of other quarterbacks, if you're looking for somebody to kind of bring in, um, and, and again try and find somebody maybe not high in the draft, but a little bit later on, the one that intrigues me um, and just is somebody that I think there's something there. And I know he's light, but UCLA kid Dorian Thompson Robinson. If you want a, he's kind of that backup that can get you out of games and can run around, make plays. He's ultra twitched up. He's got a live arm. Um, I, I thought he got better. He played a lot of football at UCLA, but he got better every year. Um, I know he's a little bit older, and I think that's another reason why you probably get a value. But if you're saying who's somebody that in this next draft might be picked in the fifth round, sixth round, that could end up starting a few games next year and, and uh, would be able to hang in there and make plays, he'd be one that I think is kind of a fun one. Next question comes from John Shipley. Hey, DJ, I appreciate you doing this. When you look at the Jaguars at number 24 overall, how do you balance, you know, potentially addressing the defense to, against, you know, potentially adding more pieces around Trevor Lawrence? Well, you know, I'm always a proponent of giving the young quarterbacks as much help as they can early on in their careers as they can develop their confidence. And then once they become who they are, you can afford to maybe cut some corners around them and, and, allocate your resources to the other side of the ball. I think in having a front row seat at that playoff game, when they were down 27, nothing and watching him come back and make it happen, I think he might've turned that corner already. Um, so I'm not going to worry too much uh, about what he has. I think he's got a pretty decent group around him. Now you can continue to, to sprinkle it in. But to me, I think right now the, the defensive needs cry out, especially, you know, just more pass rushers, um, the ability to improve on third down. They were 29th and third down last year. So, you know, more corners, more pass rushers. Um, I would probably be leaning more in that direction, even with you know, with their second pick as well, 24 and 56. I think you can find, you know, you can find a tight end, um, a wide out a little bit later in the draft, just kind of you know, maybe more of a, ni a niche player to, to come in there and fill in around what you already have. But uh, I would be leaning defense early. Next question comes from Angelique Shangelis. Thanks so much, uh, Daniel. I was just wondering your impressions of uh, of Michigan's um, Oluwatimi and Mozzie Smith and Mike Morris, please. Thanks. Sure. Um, uh, we'll go through the Oluwatimi. Uh, he's just a really, really solid player. Guys that have started a zillion games, offensive linemen in the Big Ten, um, there's a really good hit rate of those guys, uh, especially interior offensive linemen. He started 49 games. Um, so it, it's just, it translates really well. He's got an instant anchor. Um, he can wipe out middle linebackers when he works up to the second level, not going to be an elite, you know, redirect and space guy, but, uh, you know, he's strong, he's firm. Um, he's going to kind of just use that upper strength and wrestle you there at the point of attack in the run game. But uh, you know he can set a he can help you set a firm pocket. So I think there's a lot of value there with him. I have him as kind of a you know third round. Maybe you could get into the fourth round, but most likely a third round player. Uh, Mike Morris is just a you know he's a massive stand up outside linebacker there um, who can really set the edge. He got after you know the tackle from from Maryland as a as a gifted player, and he he went right through him with power. So uh, he's a big powerful guy. He's you know, he flashes some some up and under stuff that he can do, showing you he's a little more nifty than you think. Um, but he's, you know, he's kind of got an interior body and plays out there on the exterior. So interesting player. I put him in that third round range. All three of these guys have the same grade on. Schoonmaker is another one. 
Um, the tight end who I have in that range is a, you know, inline tight end. He can move, you can split him out wide. He's got some burst, uh, after the catch, he can adjust down the field. Um, I don't even think you asked about him, but he, he's a good player as well. The top, the, uh, the top Michigan guys though, when you look at Mozzie Smith, he's up there in my top 50, he's 330 plus pounds. He's got quickness. He can overpower you. I know that, you know, you look at the production, the pass rush production doesn't exist. He's got a half sack in his career, but then you watch him and he's disruptive. So it's more disruption over production, but I do think he's got upside as a rusher and you can't move him uh, in the run game and played really well uh, in their biggest game of the year. So he's a good one. And then I'll add one more uh, for good luck here with DJ Turner. The corner is going to run really fast. I think he's going to go in the second round. Um, he's got big time, big time burst. He can, he can drive on balls in front when he gets out of position, he's got the speed to recover, you know, just every now and then he'll get boxed out because of his size. But I think he's a second round corner. It's a, you know, I, I was, I was watching this group of Michigan players and they have a really good group that's coming into this draft, but you also notice the guys they have coming back next year, including the quarterback and the running back. And this is not a college football show, but Michigan's going to be really, really good again next year. Next question comes from John Crick. Hey, Daniel. Five Canadians are in the draft conversation this year. I'm hoping you can. Oh, hold, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh. Let me just see. Let me see. Hold on. Is it is it Bergeron, City So, Chase Brown, Sidney Brown, Tavius Robinson? Is that am I right? I believe that's it. I was just going to ask you about the three Ontario guys, the Chase and Sydney, and where you see Sydney projecting uh, position-wise, and uh, then Tavius Robinson. Okay, I, I'm always I'm always geared up and ready for the uh, for the Canadian question. Um, when I when I look at the uh, at Sydney, to me is uh, you know obviously the ball production's there at at five ten, two hundred thirteen pounds, had six picks. He's got great range. You'll see him undercut routes. He's explosive. I think he's going to test really, really well. He's outstanding on special teams. Um, you'll see at a forced fumble on a punt. One of the games that I watched, he's, uh, you know, the only tape that he struggled with was against Laporta, the Iowa tight end. He struggled a little bit in coverage in that one, uh, but had a really good senior bowl week. He's going to go day two. Um, I, I think you'll see him go in the second round or, you know, mid middle second round to early third round is I think when you'll see him. Uh, Chase Brown, the running back. He's a, he's a quick stepper. He can run through contact. He's got a nice little stiff arm. Um, he just runs really hard. And uh, the production obviously was there. Uh, again, super productive player, good player. Pass pro is a little bit of an issue there. He got crushed uh, by some linebackers and that. So that's his area to, to improve. It's a really deep running back group. So I think probably third round would be the high water mark, but I would say probably a wider range, third to fifth round. Uh, somewhere in there is where he would end up going. And then the last one was Robinson. Was that right? Yeah. Yeah. So for Robinson, get to him here. Uh, yep. Robinson, you know, had the production, had the eight sacks. He's high cut. He's long. You know, he's kind of fun to watch because he's he's in that four-point stance and just launches out of it. Um, he's got a nifty little push-pull move, but I thought he was a little bit tight. He's a little bit stiff at the top of his rush, and I thought he got pinned and sealed a little too often in the run game. Um, so that, you know, he's a later round guy for me, more of a, you know, like a six round pick, but you've got some size, uh, and you've got some production. So he's, uh, you know, definitely going to hear his name called. Next question comes from Jeff Mosher. Jeff, you may ask your question. Hey DJ, how's it going? Good, man. Good to see you. 
Good to see you. Thanks for doing this as always. Um, I wanted to ask you, sort of go back a year with you, if you don't mind, to the Eagles taking Jordan Davis. Um, is it something, you know, going back on your evaluations that you could have seen going into his rookie year where it might have been a struggle or difficult because he played limited snaps at Georgia? Um, weight, I think, was an issue for him at times and, and just adjusting to the NFL with all those great traits. But um, maybe not as much snaps or experience playing the game. Is there something there to, that you could have maybe seen him not having a very impactful rookie year? Well, I think he he went from a, a team with a crap ton of talent in college and went to a team in the NFL with a crap ton of talent. So, uh, you know, they rolled they rolled all those guys through. So they they kind of divvied up those reps, and maybe that's why you didn't see as much you know as much pop or as much production from him. Um, but I mean, golly, it's, they have such a deep group there. And it's one of the reasons why they went to the Super Bowl. So I'm still bullish on him. I think he's going to be really, really good. Uh, obviously I think he's still learning how to use what's in his body. It's all there. He's got all the ability in the world. I think he's just going to, you know, he just needs to play. He gets out there and plays more. I think you'll, you'll see that, that start to emerge, but it was somewhat like that in college where you'll see flashes and then you kind of, okay, where did it go? But with guys like that and, and defensive linemen, it's not always instantaneous either. It's just, you know, it's a different game. Even when you're in the SEC, as great as that conference is, it's different. It's different when you're playing against grown men every week. And I think you'll see, you'll see him grow and, and continue to develop. I mean, there's, um, you see it every year. I mean, Quinn, look at like Quinn and Williams early in his career and just what he's better and better and better and better. I think you'll see, uh, you'll see Jordan Davis be a better football player next year. Next question comes from Anthony Poisal. Hey, DJ, uh, everyone right now seems to think the Browns will be targeting their defensive line with their first pick in the second round. Do you agree with that? And which guys do you think are fits for them and what Jim Schwartz likes to do with his D-line? Yeah, Schwartz, he likes to get outside and, and let those guys rock and roll um, and really get off the ball. So when you look at where the Browns are picking second round, pick number 42, if you're looking for edge rushers that have, you know, kind of big time juice, Oh gosh, I know one of them off the top of my head. Um, as you go to Iowa State, and uh, they have uh, you know a premier player in Will McDonald in terms of burst and athleticism. He's a little bit undersized, two hundred forty-one pounds. We'll see what he weighs there, but um, he can really get off the ball. He can win with spin moves. He can win uh, just turning the corner. Uh, but burst and bend is his calling card. And talking to Matt Campbell. You know, think about the players they've had there, including recently Brock Purdy and Brees Hall. And he said, Will McDonald's got the most upside of anybody they've ever had come through there. Um, he was a 206 pound freshman. They couldn't block him in practice. So they let him, you know, put him out there in a game. He has a sack in the first game. And like, do we, we need to register him? He's only 206 pounds, but he's our best pass rusher. Uh, so he's got an interesting background, interesting story. Um, but he'd be one that I think would fit what they do. Um, you know, really giving you some juice off the edge. I really like uh, Felix Anaduke Uzama from Kansas State. He's kind of right in that range for me too. He can get off the ball. He can win with his hands. Um, he had to play a lot inside the tackle and kind of a four eye there on the inside shoulder of the tackle. So he didn't get as much runway consistently. But when you widened him out and gave him a runway, he was he was pretty dominant and had a. Uh, you know, had a lot of production, eight career force fumbles for him, uh, eight in the last two years. So uh, those guys, to me, would be good fits. Next question comes from Rainier Sabin. Uh, hi, Daniel. Uh, yeah, I was just w was wondering what your impression is of uh, Jaden Reed uh, at Michigan State. And, uh, and why do you think Michigan hasn't had a skill position player drafted in the first two rounds during the Harbaugh era? 
Yeah, I mean Harbaugh's just been smash. It's been smash mouth football. That's been his calling card going back to USD to Stanford to uh, um, you know to what he did in the NFL. And I think maybe the biggest surprise is that they haven't had a quarterback because he's done such you know a good job previously of not only finding but developing quarterbacks. Um, so I, I won't get too far ahead of me into the future years, but uh, I do think that uh, you know, the quarterback they got there right now is pretty good and. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens with them in the future with the skill guys. But I would imagine that will be something that will change as they get better quarterbacks. They'll attract better receivers. And um, and you'll see that uh, that will change. I think they got a good one now uh, with Jaden Reed. He was excellent. The senior bowl. He's quick. He can separate. He's got strength after the catch. He's tough. Um, he's a really good blocker for, for being a guy that's not real big just under 5'11", 191 pounds, but he's tough. Um, and he gives you the return value as well. So I put him in the third round uh, area. I think he's got a chance to be a really good uh, number three, maybe even grows into a number two. Well, there you go. There's the conference call. Hope you guys have enjoyed that. Uh, a lot of water, a few throat lozenges along the way to get through that conference call. Uh, but I love talking about the draft. It's something I'm passionate about and something we will always do here on the Move the Sticks podcast. Uh, speaking of which, as we head off to Indianapolis, be on the lookout next week. We'll have plenty of content coming your way. Uh, Bucky's going to be back. He'll be in the mix. Lance Zerline will be joining him as well, uh, breaking down the action as it takes place in Indy and filling all of your draft needs. So hope you guys have enjoyed this one, and we'll see you next time right here on Move the Sticks. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility.